This Global IQ with Jim Falk is with Ambassador Robert Jordan, who served for two critical years as President George W. Bush's ambassador to Saudi Arabia from October 2001 to late 2003. He's the author of an important new book, Desert Diplomat, Inside Saudi Arabia Following 9-11, which was published just last week. I don't need to remind our listeners about the challenges he faced in keeping the important bilateral relationship intact while representing the Bush administration in its march towards the Iraq war. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Ambassador Jordan, you recently said that the deterioration of relations between Saudi Arabia and the United States was like a slow-moving train wreck. How did we get to this point in our relationship, and what responsibility does each party have to create a better balance? Well, this has been some time in coming. Uh, certainly, the Saudis and the Americans don't share very many values. Uh, we have had a common interest that was uh, unified largely by the Cold War. And when the Cold War ended, uh, I think it uh, had uh, certain uh, effects on the relationship. But most importantly, uh, more recently, uh, the Saudis have been, been very unhappy with the relationship, uh, largely as a consequence of the fall of Hosni Mubarak in Egypt. Uh, they felt that we threw him over the side. Uh, and started wondering uh, if the same thing might happen to them. Uh, other Gulf monarchies felt the same way. Uh, we then saw uh, this administration embrace the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, which is anathema to the Saudis. Uh, they consider them mortal enemies, uh, and so this was another big, big problem. Next, we saw uh, the red line that uh, President Obama uh, declared with respect to uh, the use of chemical weapons by Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Uh, that uh, red line was uh, ignored later. Uh, again, the Saudis felt very upset about it because they uh, view uh, Bashar al-Assad as a tool of Iran and an enemy uh, on his own. And then finally, the ne negotiations with Iran, the nuclear discussions, which make the Saudis believe that there may be a grand bargain afoot uh, in which the uh, Americans would give Iran essentially free reign in Iraq, uh, free reign to create a Shia crescent uh, around Saudi Arabia, surrounding them, uh, and making uh, life much more difficult for them. Do you think that they have any reason to believe that? Sure. Uh, I think there has been a, a lot of interest in what might flow from an Iranian nuclear deal. Uh, could it lead to uh, something of a detente? Could it lead to better behavior on Iran's part uh, in uh, Lebanon, Syria, uh, Yemen, and elsewhere? Uh, and I think there's also an economic dimension to this. Uh, once the sanctions are lifted against Iran, uh, they will be free to uh, export more oil. In fact, Iran's deputy oil minister was just uh, told the Wall Street Journal that they hope to double their oil exports to 2.3 million barrels. Uh, they may well be able to do that. They're at about 700 million right now, or 700,000 rather, and, and they uh, may well be able to significantly increase it. Uh, moreover, uh, Iran has enormous human capital well-educated people, uh, well-trained, uh, a good work, work ethic. Uh, and so I think the, the Saudis view them as a tremendous potential economic powerhouse, which would outcompete them uh, in the region. That, that's something I think they're very concerned about. You know, I, I do want to spend considerable time on your book and about Saudi Arabia, but I, I have to ask you, you had some strong, fairly strong reservations about George W. Bush's decision to go to war with Iraq. Is that a fair assessment? Well. I certainly have reservations after the fact. I will say going in, uh, we all felt that uh, Saddam Hussein had chemical and biological weapons. I had seen uh, raw intelligence uh, 
uh, intercepts of Iranian uh, military officers saying, get your gas mask ready because when the fighting starts, you're going to need it. Uh, the Saudis came to me and asked for 17,000 gas masks. They uh, clearly believed that there would be uh, Scud missiles coming into Riyadh with uh, chemical or biological warheads. Uh, and so this was all something that I think we all believed in good faith. If that had been true, then that invasion would have been worthwhile. Uh, what we, what I did have reservations about at the time was whether we had given the inspectors, the UN inspectors, enough time uh, to uh, seek out and make their inspections uh, before this decision was made. Um, that was something that reasonable people could differ on, I suppose. After the fact, uh, I'm very concerned that we essentially tore apart a country with no real viable plan to put it back together. Uh, we didn't provide for security uh, for the citizens of that country. Uh, we didn't provide uh, essentially a, a governance model that had any hope of working. Uh, and so I think we did a terrible job after the invasion, uh, even though I think there were plausible reasons to support the invasion in the first place. The Saudis had consider expressed considerable concern to you, though, didn't they? Their concern largely was that, that, that they thought, again, that if we completely tore up the country, uh, it would turn into a, a Shiite puppet of Iran. Uh, their view was they were very happy to be rid of Saddam Hussein. They would have preferred to have him vaporized, assassinated, uh, perhaps bribed into exile uh, in some way, all of which uh, they suggested to me. But what they strongly suggested was that we keep most of the ministries in place, keep the Ba'ath Party in place, and keep some sense of order and governance uh, so that the public services could continue, so that security would continue, and that the, the people of, of Iraq would then have uh, a, a reasonable chance to develop uh, their own society. Uh, that's what uh, the, the Saudis were concerned about. I passed those concerns on, and of course, uh, they were not uh, acknowledged. You know, one thing that I enjoyed so much about your book, Desert Diplomat, is that it is in part a very personal memoir, but it's also a, a very interesting, and there's information that has not been disclosed really elsewhere, a historical record. I was wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit more about some of the dysfunction that you cite so frequently in the book uh, in sure. the U.S. government. Well, I can give you a couple of examples. Uh, we very much needed information from the Saudis about uh, interrogations, detainees, uh, people that we needed to, to pick up uh, and, and uh, gain information from. Uh, we often would exchange lists and the Saudis would occasionally provide us uh, information. Uh, but the uh, FBI, or, I'm sorry, the CIA kept coming to me saying they uh, had, had really not received the information they needed, even though it had been asked for months ago, uh, and could I do something about it? So I went to see the uh, Deputy Minister of Interior, who's now the Crown Prince, uh, Mohammed bin Nayef, uh, and asked him for the information. He said, well, Ambassador, we gave that information to the FBI about two months ago. Mm. Uh, so clearly the FBI had not been sharing with the CIA uh, and I'm sure that was mutual. Uh, and so I had to spend a lot of time in Washington actually dealing with Bob Mueller of the FBI and George Tenet of the CIA trying to get them to play nice with each other. Uh, we made some progress and I think uh, after about a year or so we, we really had them pretty much on the same page. But there was a cultural difference. The FBI was not used to trying to stop bad acts or terrorist activity before it occurred. They were more uh, oriented toward making a case to to prosecute uh, after the accident actually occurred. And so there was just simply a cultural difference with the FBI, with the CIA who would very much want to intervene, stop something, uh, and, and bring those uh, people in even if you couldn't make a, a case to prosecute against them. 
recently, the World Affairs Council hosted a speaker who expressed his deep concern about the, the stability of the kingdom and even said there would be significant global impact if Saudi Arabia became a failed state. With the accession of the new king, King Solomon, are you more or less confident about the, or the kingdom's future and, and stability? Certainly with the short term, I'm confident uh, of their stability. Uh, but there are a couple of cracks uh, in the foundation that I think we need to uh, keep aware of. Um, the, the king has advanced a lot of his own people's interests and appointments uh, in a much more aggressive way than some of his predecessors did. Uh, he's named his own son, who's about 29 years old, as not only the defense minister, but the head of one of the two uh, sort of super committees that run the government, this one having to do with the economy. Uh, and so he's really empowered someone who has very little experience and is not very well known uh, to uh, Western observers. Uh, this bears watching, uh, partly because he is largely responsible for the Saudi adventure in Yemen right now. Uh, it's not going so well, and if it has a very bad outcome, uh, he well may be blamed for that uh, by the other members of the world family who resent this young fellow coming in and having such a enormous responsibility because of his father. Uh, another angle on that could be that uh, the father would try to protect Mohammed bin Salman uh, in such a situation and perhaps blame someone else, say the, uh, the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Nayef. So you've got jealousies, you've got rivalries, uh, you've got power uh, issues here that are not fully resolved. Uh, and uh, I, I think while clearly there has been a consensus to uh, allow this to happen, there is it is likely not without some dissent, and that dissent could start rumbling further uh, if things go badly. Well, thank you very much, Ambassador Jordan. You've been listening to Global IQ with Jim Falk. Our guest has been Ambassador Bob Jordan, and I think I ought to refer to Secretary James Baker, who said, Desert Diplomat is an intriguing tale of an interesting man serving his country during an important time in history. To learn more about World Affairs Council programs in your community or around the nation, including the, the November National Conference, go to worldaffairscouncils.org. You've been listening to Global IQ with Jim Falk. Thank you.